0: Welcome to the Crosslands Church Podcast. Our mission, to help you experience the life with God you've been missing. And now, a message for you. You're not going to like this one. In fact, this might be the the worst message you ever hear me preach at Crosslands Church. Last week, we talked about a, a common struggle with prayer that people have, and the struggle is that it's boring. And so the challenge is to pray dangerous prayers. Last week... We talked about asking God to search us. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you dare to pray the scary prayers? I mentioned last week that we're building this message series on a book by Craig Groeschel called Dangerous Prayers. I had the, um, the link to this in, in last week's details on the YouTube video, and I'll try to get it up after this one has... Uh, to stopped streaming live and put it in the, the YouTube details as well. So you can, you can order this on Amazon and, and follow along. I might put another book that I'll mention in there as well in the details. I want to start with a story today, and I was running this by a friend of mine, and he said, you'd better mention to the church that this is not your own story. So it's not my own story, but it's a story that I've come across many times, more often than I'd like to have. It's a true story, but it's not a factual story. What does that mean? It means that, I've seen this story played out a few times, Um, the details vary from time to time, and it might even be part of your story. And the story goes something like this. There's a woman, she's working at her job, and as she goes about her day-to-day activities and responsibilities, there's a man in the same area of employment, who is her superior, who seems to be trying to spend more and more time with her, he's always kind of there, and, and he flatters her. He, he, he compliments her on a daily, daily basis, and it's, for her it's both uncomfortable, but also flattering. She's not sure what to make of it. But over time, the compliment, compliments increase, the closeness increases, and before long they have a full-fledged relationship, and before even much longer, they end up sleeping together. The problem is that they're not married to each other. Actually, the problem is that he's married to somebody else. And it doesn't take too long before they're caught. Now, when they're caught is when the real problems happen because when they're caught, his narrative changes. He's a person with responsibility. He's a person with position. And the, the, the threat to himself and the threat to the organization is now threatened. So his narrative changes from being somebody who's pursuing her to blaming her for being the seducer in the relationship. And of course, because he's in a place of higher responsibility, the leadership of the organization surrounds him to protect him. And she becomes the scapegoat. She's the one that's punished. She's the one that's fired. She's the one that walks away with a tarnished reputation while he's okay. I've seen this story play out over and over and over again. And there are all kinds of different versions. And I wonder if that's the background for this story in the book of John. I'm going to read John 8, verse 3, 11, and It says this. As he was speaking, Jesus, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. That's a method of execution. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that could be used against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And he stooped down and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said, and Jesus said, neither do I, go and sin no more. I, I know that my background story is, is hypothetical. I'm connecting dots. But I think the big tell in this story, the big indicator that something is really wrong is that the woman is caught in adultery but the man is not there to be condemned. He's probably not there in the crowd at all, although his friends and supporters would be the ones at the forefront accusing the woman. And Jesus effectively saves her life. I mean, there's a lot more to that. You could write a whole message about that story and about how Jesus responds to the law and judgment and mercy and all of that. But we're not going to go there today. I want to connect this to another story. There are, there are 11 stories that are consistent across the four Gospels. In the beginning of the New Testament, we have four, four witnesses, four testimonies of the good news of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first three uh, are, are looked at largely through the same lens, a lot of the same incidents, but through subtly different uh, target audiences or, or overarching messages. And then John kind of stands on its own. But across the four, there are 11 stories that are the same. In fact, actually most scholars would say that there are 10. So things like the crucifixion, the resurrection, pretty important things. The feeding of the 5,000, the, the witness of John the Baptist. Those are consistent across all of them. But there's one story that's in dispute, because there are, it's presented at different times in each gospel. It seems to serve a different purpose in each gospel. And the details are so different that they say it's actually not one story. It's probably referring to two or three different events. And it's the story of Jesus having dinner with a religious leader, and a woman comes in. And, and breaks all social expectations and social norms and starts putting perfume on his feet and, and, and crying. And it's, it's a very awkward situation. And, and I wanna look at three of the four situations today very, very briefly, and look at some of the different details and look at the different purposes for the story, okay? And I'm gonna start with Luke. Luke 7, verses 37 to 38. And this is in the middle of the story, okay? A certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Okay, so what's distinct about the Luke story is Luke specifies that she's an immoral woman. She's a woman who is perceived by the community to be a sinner. In fact, there's no reason to believe that she's not. I mean, we're all sinners, but but she's somehow crossed a line here and everybody knows it. The purpose of Luke telling this story is to demonstrate that to the degree you are forgiven, you express love. To the degree that you are restored, you express gratitude. That's Luke's purpose to the story and it's fairly early in his story. And, and a lot of scholars would suggest that this woman was or had been a prostitute. And that this jar of perfume was a means to her trade. That she is, she you, a prostitute would put on perfume in that culture in order to both attract and signal attention from potential customers. And by this woman pouring the perfume out, she's saying goodbye to her old life and and anointing Jesus with it. I'm not sure she was a prostitute. And so I'm going to move on from there. And I'll explain why. I want to look at John's version. John's version is the most different. And this is where people have a real problem with this. Okay? This is why they think it's two different stories. Because here we have this immoral woman. But in John 12 verse 3, he gives her a name. And the name is Mary. This is not just any Mary. This is Mary, the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus, the one who Jesus raised from the dead. Mary. Mary took a 12 ounce jar of expensive perfume. There's that common detail there. Mary took a 12 ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. Okay, so that was a very expensive product that was shipped in from the east. She anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. The purpose of John telling this story is to anticipate Jesus' burial. So very, very different purposes. John is early in the story. John is, or sorry, Luke is very early in his telling of the story. John is very late, right before Jesus' crucifixion. But the details are similar enough that you go like, is this really two different stories? Finally, I want to look at Mark, Mark 14. This is Mark's version of the story. A woman, from Mark 14, verse 3, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. There's some of those same details again. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. There's a specific detail here that's different from the other two. Is that she took the jar and broke it. This is why I don't think she's a prostitute. because She's not accessing this jar, this jar is sealed. And so some scholars believe that this perfume would be so expensive it would be part of the bride price of a woman. That when she is ready to be married, this Perfume uh, is now available for use. Until then, it is sealed. And this woman unseals it. She breaks it open, pouring out her future, pouring out her hopes. In a culture that valued marriage and childbearing as the primary role of of a woman, in this case, she's turning her back on her future. Pope Gregory I in, um, what's the year? Uh, 591, so 1,500 years ago. He makes the connection between all four of the gospel stories and the woman in John 8, which tells a completely different story. We have a woman who's accused of adultery where the man is absent, which seems to indicate that she is, is a victim of a conspiracy to some extent. Jesus saves her life. Not only is this an unnamed woman, but potentially she is Mary, the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus, who expresses her gratitude, breaks open her future, and pours it on Jesus' feet. Why does Mark tell this story? We've already talked about why Luke tells a story. Luke tells a story to demonstrate that to the extent you are forgiven, to the extent you recognize your forgiveness, you respond with love and gratitude. John says she does this to prepare Jesus. In fact, Jesus said that in John's Gospel, to prepare him for his burial. Mark's version is a little different. See, this is Mark 14. We're getting close to the end of the book. When these gospel writers would would frame their stories and they would arrange their stories, they did it on purpose, not by accident. They didn't do it casually, and the words they used were not chosen casually. And so at the beginning of Mark 14, the very beginning, we see the story of a woman coming in, potentially Mary. Mary. Potentially a woman who was victimized caught in adultery and Jesus saves her life and she responds by breaking open this treasured possession that represents her hopes and her future. She breaks it open and pours it out. You don't have to get very far into the chapter when we see a story of Jesus having his last meal with his disciples. It says this, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples. Same word. He broke it, saying, take it, for this is my body. And in Mark 24, just two verses later, he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, his body is broken. His blood is poured out. That's not an accident. Jesus is associating himself with the complete giving of himself, the sacrifice of his future, sacrifice of his hopes for us. In our tradition, our Christian tradition, it comes from scripture, Jesus follows that up by saying, do this in remembrance of me. And many scholars, I mean, it's obvious he's saying, commemorate me, commemorate my sacrifice, my identity, my purpose, by having this meal together. Yes, he's saying that, but many scholars believe he's also saying, Do this, offer your bodies to be broken. Pour yourself out for the kingdom of God. And that's where we get this idea of a dangerous prayer, break me, in a culture, and we've seen this at at a heightened level of irony, and and to some extent it it, it should evoke some disgust in us as followers of Jesus, But, but where Jesus offering of pouring himself out is somehow partnered with with the pursuit of power and and prosperity and prestige. We've we've seen it betrayed and butchered in our culture, where the message of Jesus is turned into something about uh, dominating other people or or acting in your best interest, where you, you deserve health and wealth and all of that. And Jesus says, I give my body, I pour myself out, broken and poured out you do this in remembrance of me live the jesus life following in his footsteps to the cross the dangerous prayer is break me or at the very least to god do what you have to do in me to form my soul in what you want it to be do what you have to do Whatever it takes. Well, you'd imagine praying that to a God who answers prayer. That's a scary prayer. Break me. Why would I ever do this? Beginning of this century, the Tower of Pisa was reopened because they had spent quite a few years reinforcing the foundations, because the thing was just leaning over more and more until it was ready to topple. There was a problem with it from the beginning. It's been the leaning Tower of Pisa for centuries. Before it was even finished, it was leaning. The the top floors are are a little bit bent to try to accommodate for the lean. Anytime you have a building and the foundation isn't deep enough, the foundation isn't strong enough, there's a huge problem. And it's, it's intensive work. It's deep work. It's hard work. It's sometimes destructive work. To rebuild foundations to where they should be why would I ever pray that God would break me you may have a destiny for which you are not equipped or prepared you may have a destiny that God has for you for which he might need to readjust your foundations your core identity the things you trust in the things you depend on even the way you see the world the height of a building is limited by the depth and strength of its foundations. I mentioned last week part of my own story. This goes back 14 years. And uh, I was on staff at the time, and I went through such a deep and unending, it seemed like, period of depression that nothing worked. And it was like God was taking that time to break me. I think if you have been in full-time ministry if you are serving God in any capacity for any length of the time, sooner or later, you're going to go through one of these experiences. But in that time, much like today's crisis, everything that I depended on, everything I counted on was stripped away. All my own capacity seemed fruitless. Everything that I depended on in my own self-sufficiency was rendered useless. And it was so bad that at, at, at a certain point, Michelle said to me, this is killing you. I want you to quit your job. I I was like a a walking zombie all the time. And I think the first turning point, the first step away from that, the first step of hope into light, in all honesty, was when Michelle said to me, this is killing you. I want you to quit your job. Because at that point, I knew at least I had her permission. And I, I was more able to let God do what he needed to do. It was a year later that I became senior pastor, the lead pastor of Crossness Church, a position that I never wanted and a position for which I was not prepared. But without that process of God tearing down and rebuilding foundations in my life, I never would have been able to do the job. Sometimes I still wonder if I can. I was, there's a book that I recommend to every Christian leader. I've had people on our board read it. I've had every intern read it. I've had every every staff member read it. And the book is called A Tale of Three Kings, A Study in Brokenness. And I wanna give you, Two quotes from it. One is, one is this. What does the world need? Gifted men and women outwardly empowered or individuals who are broken, inwardly transformed? For God's purposes, he's looking for individuals who are broken and inwardly transformed. Break me, a dangerous prayer. The next quote is this. God did not have, but wanted very much to have, Men and women who would live in pain, God wanted a broken vessel. It sounds kind of sadistic, why would God do this? Because without God's work in our life, we're not able, we're not prepared to be the people he needs us to be, to further his purpose in the world. Beyond the breaking, may be a new assignment, a new role, a new responsibility, a new destiny, for which you would not otherwise be fit. Why pray this dangerous prayer? Because you have a destiny that goes far beyond what you're prepared to do right now. Second, there's a second reason. There's a second reason we might be willing to pray this. There was a a, a man in in the church I grew up in, and he was a, he was a nice guy. He was quite a bit older. He was uh, as long as I remembered, he was in church leadership, and. Um, he was just, just a nice guy, right? And uh, nothing wrong with him that I knew. And, and at one point, he had, a, he had a massive heart attack. And he was on his deathbed. He spent a number of time in the hospital. I think he had bypass surgery maybe more than once. And I remember talking to him after that. And it was after I had moved away and I was back in Ontario. And, and, uh, and I bumped into him. And I was chatting with him. And it was like every time he talked about Jesus, he would tear up. It, he would start crying. See, because when you go through a period of breaking, you, you gain a greater intimacy with God. You create a, a, a greater depth of relationship. Beyond the breaking is a deeper intimacy with Jesus. That's a scary thing. That's the challenge today. Would you dare pray that? Last week, we talked about asking God to search us. What is he going to reveal in our lives? What are the anxieties that reveal our lack of trust? What are the ways that are offensive to him that would take us off the path to everlasting? Today, this week, would you dare to ask God to break you? Or at the very least, be willing to ask him, do whatever you need to do in me to form me into the soul you want. One of our basic human instincts is pain avoidance. We see trouble coming, we'll do anything we can to avoid it. We find solace in, in alcohol, drugs, video games, binging Netflix, you name it. Distracting ourselves, it's what we do. And when pain comes, we'll do, we get as far away from it as we can. Part of our survival instinct. But God is looking for people who would not lean away in the pain but would lean towards him in the pain. To embrace the experience, meet God there, and allow him to do what he wants and needs to do in your life. For you to be the person, the human being, the soul that he has created you to be. This is what it means to follow in Jesus' footsteps. To embrace it and allow God to reform, to reform us into what he desires. Every week we give an invitation to people to follow Jesus. Maybe you're watching today and you found your way to our feed, or somebody recommended it, and you're going, it doesn't sound very appealing, it doesn't sound very attractive. It's not. There's a German theologian who is, is famous for opposing Hitler in the 1930s who ended up being executed in a, in a um, concentration camp just a few days before the end of the war. And he's credited with saying that Jesus calls us to come and die. What he's saying is that there is a life beyond our pain. There is a life beyond earthly death that goes beyond our imagination. And that's what we're being invited to. That that, that whatever you experience today, whatever the world throws throws at you, the worst it can throw at you, God can leverage that to form you into what you created to be. But we can only have that. We can only access that in relationship with God, which means we have to abandon our old way of living, our own self-protective nature, our own survival instinct. That's a tough thing to to deal with. In fact, I don't believe we can deal with it on our own. It takes God to deal with it. But to step into that means to give permission to God to do what he needs to do in our life. And, And to step into that, it's, it's, just, it's not an easy decision, but it's a simple one. And It's as simple as A, B, C. It's as, as simple as A, admitting, acknowledging your need for God. Your self-protective survival instinct, as it says in Braveheart, sure, you'll live. But at the end of your life, you look back and go, my life was useless. Only the life with God is the life worth living. B is believe. So this is, a, this is a trust that the path that Jesus took to suffering and death and through suffering and death to true life on the other side, resurrection and eternal life. That is the path that Jesus has opened up, made available for us. Believe and trust that Jesus has made the way. Trust him as the source, the center of your life. And then C is to commit. Commit to his new life. Saying goodbye to your old life that's a challenge are you in that life or are you just living casual path of least resistance there is more there's better for you and the best you will ever find is in relationship with God following Jesus and if that's a decision you are ready to make today I'm gonna lead you in a prayer I want you to just, uh, listen to my words make them your own repeat them out loud if you can follow along pray something like this father in heaven I want to thank you that you have made the offer of real life to me. I acknowledge, I admit that my life without you is not enough. I'm believing, I'm trusting in the path that Jesus has laid out in his death and resurrection. And I'm choosing to commit my life to you today. I want to thank you for welcoming me into your family. Amen. And if this is a choice you are making for the first time today, I wanna to challenge you to connect with us at Crossings Church. We are a, a family of followers of Jesus who are in our own imperfect way, striving to live out the life that God has called us to, following in Jesus' footsteps, growing together in scripture, in prayer, in meeting together how and when we can. And, and I want you to be part of our community. You're welcome to be. I, I wanna challenge you to go onto crosslands.live on your smart device or your computer or whatever, and click the Follow Jesus button. Give us your contact info so we can help you with next steps. This is the best opportunity you could ever take. Now at the end of our service, we're going to participate in communion together. We're going to to do this as, as Jesus commanded us to do, to commemorate his death and resurrection, to celebrate it, to remember it, to acknowledge it with the juice and the cracker. But I want you to think today, what's he asking us to do? To just commemorate with him with a meal? He's asking us to follow in his footsteps, to be willing to pour ourselves out, to be broken for God's kingdom purposes. So if you have cracker and juice, just have it ready. And uh, I think I did this wrong. I remember the last time I used one of these, Claudette said, make sure you lift the top flap first. Guess what I just didn't do? Okay. Success. So 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three to 26 says this, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. And many translations, old ones say, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's drink together. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. You know what I have I have a text message that came in this morning. It's a good one. The question is is the breaking necessary a requirement for intimacy with God? I believe the answer to that is to the degree you are broken, you will experience intimacy with God. Do you have an intimate relationship with God? Does it feel shallow? Does it only go so far? Because God's not withholding himself. And I believe that this process of breaking, painful and scary as it is, will greatly increase the intimacy you have with God. If your Christian life feels shallow, powerless, boring, pray this dangerous prayer. I dare you. Last week we prayed, search me God and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me along the way everlasting. This week, I'm going to challenge you if you dare to pray, break me, do whatever it takes to bring me where I need to be. Will you dare to do that and embrace what God does? Father, This takes a whole lot of trust. This takes a whole lot of dependence on you being good and trustworthy. And trust that whatever path we walk, if it's according to your will, there is good on the other side. And I know there's a lot of people in Crossings Church that are, are not experiencing the depth of intimacy that they could with you. I know there are a lot of people at Crosslands that have a, a, have a destiny, a calling, an assignment, a mission for which they're not prepared. Father, I pray that you would do whatever it takes in us to form us into the souls you want us to be, And Lord, where we struggle, where we are unwilling, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to be willing to be made willing. It's a scary thing, but you are trustworthy and you are good. Take us deeper into places where we've never been before with you. ask all this in Jesus' name. been listening to the Crosslands Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or the Google Play store so that it comes straight to your device. And to find out more about Crosslands Church, you can visit us at crosslands.ca. Join us next week for another message to help you experience the life with God you've been missing.